Welcome to the new media show. We're back. Doing the new media show again. People are actually going to listen to this junk. We do it live. We're live right now. We'll just do it live. We're going live. We're going live. We just can't get enough. The new media show. Let's go. Just do it live. We're going live. We're going live. Bada bing, bada boom. The new media show. We do it live. Just do it live. We're going live. We're going live. We're going live. The new media show. I'm like Adam Curry and you're more like John C. Dvorak. I think I am Adam Curry and you're the old curmudgeon. We do it live on the new media show again. The new media show. Technology. We make it sound so special. Hey, Rob, welcome back to the new media show. Yeah. Well, we're, it's another week. We're back to back. Yes, we are. (laughs) And uh, I was a little confused. You said, are we doing a show? I said, yes, we are. Uh, Okay. Well, and and, uh, we're supposed to have someone in the top square today. So, well, yeah, I hopefully if he doesn't make it, he doesn't make it. But, uh, you know, um, that's that's the way the ball bounces out there these days. Right. It's absolutely right. But uh, but that's okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Sam Sethi, who co-hosts a, a podcast with James Cridlin, he, he's going to call us um, from the U.K., so I'm sure he'll be maybe popping in at some point here during the initial part of the show. Yeah, so, so I'll, I kind of keep an eye here. Let me see if I... Uh... Uh... I don't think he has to. He just needs to know the secret uh, call-in Skype to, to call in. I don't think he needs to know the has to be a friend or anything so but i no, don't it, yeah 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 and he has all that so all right good so welcome and uh here we are it's another week it's been i'm gonna be quite frank oh here, i think there he is it's been uh death by zoom this week <laughs> Yeah, it definitely definitely has picked up quite a bit after the holidays. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him, so hopefully we'll kickstart things here. Right. There he is. Hey Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hey Todd, uh, let me go and get my proper mic. Are we are we live right now? Live, yeah, live. we're live, but you can go ahead and switch it out. Rob and I will riff for a little bit here. You're okay. Take your time. I'll yeah. be two seconds. Thanks, guys. All right. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> the joy of live. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's been death by Zoom so far this week. And uh, actually, one of my other team members yesterday said, I'm exhausted. <laughs> you know, when you sit through five hours of Zoom meetings, it can be, it can kind of be ugly. Yeah. 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 But things are starting to pick up a little bit again in the podcasting space. So, you know, people are getting back to work, back from the holidays, and we're in the new year. So people are, you know, thinking what's next, right? What what are we all going to be working on next? (laughs) It's it's been interesting. We've seen a surge of new shows right after it it started about, uh, I guess, the 10th. Mm-hmm. And maybe the third around the tenth, when people are finally kind of coming back to work, they've just seen this huge surge of of new shows that are well, new podcasters are signing up to do shows. So we'll see what uh, you know. Yeah, that's see. good news. Yeah, it is. It is good news. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of like, where are all these folks coming from? You know, and we I was basically digging through the shows. It's a lot of foreign podcasts. So yeah. foreign being outside of the United States. 
So right. I thought that right. was interesting. A lot of Italian shows. It's 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 a interesting time to see the international growth. And maybe Seth can uh, talk to that a little bit. But why don't you give Seth an introduction, Rob? Well, Seth, uh, Sethy is joining us. Or and- Sethy, I'm sorry. Yeah, so you're in the Sorry, choose Sam Rob. It's easier. Yeah, so oh okay. So you're in the UK, right? Is that right? Is that where you're calling it? Yes. Yeah. So okay. Well, um and why don't you tell us a little bit? I mean, it sounds like you know, I was lo- looking at your background and you, you you got your hands in a lot of different stuff. Why why don't you kind of lay it all out for us in a simplistic way, which I'm sure you do all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, so, uh, like you, yourselves, gentlemen, I've been in the industry for about 30 odd years. Yeah. Um, started out at an unknown company when I joined it called Microsoft. And then I ran Netscape Europe, gateway yep. computers. I built their online European business. And then when I moved out of that, I started something called TechCrunch here in Europe. So I thought I'd start uh, that with a guy okay. called Mike Harrington. Right. When I finished doing TechCrunch, when it got sold, uh, I started four startups, sold those successfully. Um, I just started my own radio station. So we just started that last year for fun and joined James on Podland just to keep yeah. me busy. And uh, I've recently started a podcast production company called Viral Tribe. So that's a little bit about me and what I'm up to. You yeah, know- Are you getting any sleep these days? Uh, (laughs) i only sleep five hours a night anyway right you you know you said a name i haven't heard in a long time uh Mm. founder of TechCrunch, michael eric michael errington i haven't heard what is he doing these days do you even know uh i try not to but if he (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, last i um, heard he was doing something with bitcoin over in romania so wow you make of that what you will yeah, it's probably safe, safer, Todd, that you don't know what Mike's up to. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, that sounds hey, ominous. Well, yeah. Michael has his own r- reputation. I'm sure Sam will confirm that. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Hold, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one story about Mike that's not too bad. So when I started TechCrunch Europe, I invited every VC in Europe to uh, the launch party, and Mike had promised to come over for the launch party. So everyone was excited. There was about 500 people in this room. We're on the penthouse floor of this lawyer's firm in the middle of the city of London. The food's there. The champers is there. Everyone's set up. I rang Mike. I've confirmed he's coming. He said he's going to be at the airport shortly. And then uh, he basically rings me up with about 10 minutes to go. And says, ah, I didn't make the flight. I didn't get on it. I'm not coming. <laughs> and the whole room is like, really? And I'm just stood there going, what do I say? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. So. Wow. And he knew many hours before that he was not on an airplane. That's. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah he got on a, he got on a podcast instead <laughs> with somebody else. And oh one of the people who was on that podcast was also one of the guests and they were in a separate room. And he mm-hmm. was the one who said, you know, Mike's not coming over because he's actually on the podcast here and he's still at home. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. TechCrunch is now, who, who's, who, what owner are they on now? It's been moved around a few times, hasn't it's it? I think Verizon has got it, haven't they? Yeah. Verizon. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. And, yeah. So, Sam, you, you've been doing a podcast with James Crudlin for a while, this, this podline mm-hmm. podcast. I know you guys have been diving into a lot of kind of cutting edge topics. You guys are a podcast about podcasting just like we are. So yep. 
So what kind of stuff? I know I wanted to have you come on just because of all the stuff you're working on and, and you're, you're involved in the, the podcast index project. Uh, you're working with Dave Jones over there on that project. And I know you got a lot of, a lot of hands and a lot of maybe some new things that are coming to podcasting from your perspective. I don't know if you want, might want to just start with something. Yes. Yeah, so the podcast index, obviously, Dave Jones, Adam Curry, and I know you guys have have interviewed the 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 team there as well. And you had James right. on the Christmas special, which was right. great. Congratulations. Um, right. In fact, so much so, James was on everyone's podcast. It was crazy. He was everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. He always is. Yeah. James obviously writes pod news every day uh, and I jumped on a call with James and said, look, why don't you just do a, a longer podcast so you can analyze more of the news, which is how Podland came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my background is I am techie. I, I, I have a technical background. So what's happening with the podcast index and extending it with the metadata tags really interests me. So a lot of where this is going and what's happening rather than more of the oh here's a really nice podcast and here's the award for that podcast that's that that part of it's less interesting to me more the technical and i i look at what's happening with it and Mm -hmm. what i say with the podcast index right now is they've done a great job for creators so if you're a creator yeah great look tell me the person tag so i can now find metadata about the guest and the host i can tell the location tag which tells me where you're talking about etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. what they've not done uh is done a great job right now none of the industry's actually done a great job right now of giving tools to the users so we've not done a job of making the tools easier for people to what i call user generated discovery so I can go into Podchaser or I can go to several other podcast apps and I might type out, tell me a podcast about uh, a certain category like thriller or, or uh, crime, and that's great. Or tell mm. me the, the podcast that's got Rob and Todd in it. Or tell me the podcast that's hosted by X. Mm-hmm. But as a listener to your podcast, if I find a really cool segment, there's very few apps that have actually done anything about it. Fountain's done a great job of doing it. There's a new app called Snipped that allows you to take mm-hmm. the transcript and create an audio clip and share that. So user-generated uh, discovery is what I hope in 2022 we'll see a lot more of. I equally think that the interactivity that's just started with the podcast 2.0, it's using a technology that's been around for 10 years called ActivityPub. So it's not new. It's a W3C standard, but they've just rolled it into as an extension of RSS. So mm-hmm. now I can leave a comment on that podcast. So I might be listening to this podcast and, and the podcast app supports comments. I can go down to the podcast and say, wow, that was a great show. Loved it. Comment back to you. So that secondary level of user listener interactivity is what I'm looking right. for. And the way that it's being implemented between things like Castapod, Podfriend, uh, PodLP, there's a whole bunch of them. It means that the comment, if I'm listening to your podcast on one of those apps and someone's listening to your podcast on another one of those apps, that comment is what we call cross-commented. So that comment will appear on every support. Yeah, it's shared. It's shared. Right. So it's not like siloing the comment onto one app. I think that's really cool. So we... I think we're going to start to see in 2022 a lot more user-generated discovery tools, as I said, snips, interactive comments. And, of course, 
uh, and I know you've talked about it in the past, uh, boostergrams and micro payments for users to say to creators, wow, really loved your show. Here's some money for it rather than medium. Here's a clap or Twitter. Here's a like or Facebook. Here's a thumbs up. So yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm just okay. <laughs> riffing on it, but it, that's where I think we are. We're in this discovery, interactivity and monetization phase. It's super, super early. I get it. And there's still a load of, uh, you know, onboarding issues that we have to fix, but that's mm-hmm. where I think we're going. And I think the, the, the challenge, and again, I'm very supportive of the podcast 2.0 initiative, but I look at some of the things that have been introduced. And at this point, I have to build for the 97%, not the 3%. And if, if I can't, if pocket cast and a whole bunch of other apps start implementing some of this stuff, then that gives me incentive as well. But, you know, it's always been the problem. I know that in the early days when we introduced uh, subscribe on Android, basically is a one click ability to subscribe on Android. And it took us about a year, year and a half just to get 13 apps to support that functionality to have the same action that happened on a, a Android as it would have happened on a um, iOS device. And that's one of the reasons why my company's podcasters are so far ahead in Android users is because they've had that ability for a number of years and no one else adopted it just because it was a blueberry thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I understand the complications of getting app developers to implement this stuff. We wrote the code for them. We gave them the code snippet, the 13 lines of code that told them where to place it in their programming on their app in order to make it happen. And that was probably why we got as good at, so, you know, I think the challenge really is, is getting an app adoption. Um, I, th- I, I'd say it's chicken and egg. So look, uh, with Buzzsprout, for example, they've implemented the person tag. They've implemented the support for chapters. They've implemented the transcript tag. So right. those three or four tags that they've supported, they don't support, all 15 or 20 tags because like you told that you know they've got to look at the 97 percent. but what they have done is said look this person tag makes sense because apple's already got a a proprietary person tag built into it and Mm. let's support an open standard so they've done that now does that make it a million times better no but it makes it a hundred times better because now i can see the face of those guests and hosts now I can look at chapters. I mean, we in Podland will religiously put chapter markers throughout every show and we'll put links to the follow-up story and imagery. We'll also put the transcript. Now, will that give us better podcast SEO? Maybe, who knows? But I think it's a good exercise for us to do. And as more tags are supported, as a creator on Podland, I want to be able to add more metadata to my podcast. You know, having chapters have really been available since almost the beginning of podcasting. Most people don't know that. Supported within right. Apple Podcasts. Apple's, yeah. And, you know, adoption on that was... Minimal. Minimal. I mean, less, so, maybe 100 shows you were using chapters. So the the, the problem that I... And again, I, I, well, I think all this stuff is good, but... Well, some shows can utilize it and it works. Other shows, it really isn't relevant. But the challenge yeah. is, is I start a podcast and I put my phone down. I don't look at any of that data 
you know, I listen to the podcast. I don't care if, if it's showing me something new or a link or whatever. I'm never going to see that. So I think that many of these things are good for those that want to implement it, that take the time and are religious in doing it. But you got to train your audience also that it's there. So it's not just a matter of implementing. Yeah. You have to train your existing audience. Hey, here's how you can actually utilize this and where. And, you know, and if it's not in Overcast or if it's not in some of the other, you know, apps, then you maybe you're going to drive usage back to those apps that are supporting it, which, you know, I think right. is good too. Right. Well, and I think that the ideas need to keep coming, right? Yeah, on yeah for sure. Ways that we can, we, we can extend RSS and, yep. and actually out, um, outperform what maybe a proprietary platform might be able to do. And that's, that's really who the competition that we're facing yeah. is yeah. Um, <clears throat> Spotify or an Apple. Because um, generally they're probably, they may or may not, there's probably high likelihood that they're not going to support any of this. Right. Um, they're going to put out their own tags, right? Um, the so, interesting thing about that, yeah. Rob, is so yeah. I was the Netscape European Product Marketing Manager, right? I ran communicating, <clears throat> Netscape Communicator and Netscape Navigator, and we fought against Microsoft in the browser war. And the one thing, if you remember, ActiveX was going to be the savior of the web oh, yeah. and make yeah. everything super easy. And yeah. I, I'll yeah. list off 10 or 20 different proprietary technologies that Internet Explorer tried to push through. And the open web won. Now, that may be a slow win, but we did win eventually. And, if, and fundamentally, I laughed when eventually the Internet Explorer engine was replaced by the Chrome engine in, in Microsoft Edge. So, right. you know, it went full circle. It did. Now, I said to Dave Jones over Christmas, we've been having some chats about it. And um, one of the things that I've called uh, Apple, uh, and they don't like me for it, but hey, who cares, is the uh, Internet Explorer of podcasting. Because they basically have put in so much proprietary tech into their platform that I think they are to our industry. They are the Internet Explorer. They're the people that we've got to position as legacy, as as proprietary um, and force them through, whether it's through user request or through embarrassment, maybe that they will adopt more of this. Now, in our case, in our industry, Spotify and Apple happen to be those legacy apps. They're stuck in RSS 2.0 and they won't move out of it. In fact, they will probably do more and more less with RSS if they can. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think it's beholden right. to the rest of us in the industry to drive the industry forward, to give uh, not just parity with those apps, so not just person tags and stuff, but to move the industry forward so that Things like boostergrams, look, they're not quite ready yet. They're not fully baked. But that stuff, when people start to see some value, mm -hmm. then I think they'll go, yeah, actually, that Spotify and that Apple app are pretty old and pretty dated. We're going to switch. I, look, maybe it won't happen, but yeah. I, I, I hold out hope based on history. Yeah, I mean, I think the independent uh, side of podcasting that's not aligned with the the big, you know, I would, well, let me even say Apple, I, I would consider them to be for many years in this medium, they were the standard. I mean, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even call them proprietary. I would just call them, they were the standard that everybody adopted. It just happened to be, you know, it is proprietary, but it just happened to be that there, there wasn't any alternatives and they were leading, leading us in, in this industry. And until the podcast index started, we didn't really have an alternative. 
um, to what Apple was bringing to the table or one of these big tech companies was bringing to the table. So I just, you know, I know that the smaller apps really need to kind of lead on this um, as an example and create momentum that then can be demonstrated to, well, Apple, this is a good idea. Why don't you, you know, support this tag? But I don't, Todd, as far as you know, I don't know that Apple has ever supported besides open RSS ever supported any external tags. Have they? They, They've never. And, you know, I would have been pleased if we could have just got them to take on the transcript tag. Right. You know, if we could just right. get that one through, right. you know, and, right. and by the way, they're listening. So they, they know right. where we stand on this is we, you know, get just put one in there, yeah. you know, and, uh, what, and even the original RSS spec, they renamed, they came up with their own, you know, they had right. different, different things. It was an Apple tag specific. You know, it's just like us. We came out with yeah. you know, six or seven tags that we gave to the RSS 2.0 mm-hmm. folks. Because right. no one was going to adopt them. Why weren't they going to adopt them? Because Blueberry put it together. You know, you can't you can't right. ever, you know, acknowledge someone's done something good. So hopefully the greater good, it goes over to Podcast 2.0 right. and that team, and you know, has taken some of those and ran with them. So, um, well, yeah, and I think to be fair to Apple, um, it's not like Apple hasn't had an interest in this. I mean, I know. Todd, you you and I put together a session at, at a past podcast movement. Well, it was a I think meeting. it was yeah. a, a meeting on kind of a very similar topic to this, and they, they were their there. technical team showed up. So they were, I think they're interested in hearing about new ideas. It's just whether or not they can push it through the culture there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big part of it is pushing it through the culture. Because, yeah. you, know, it, you know, it's I always laugh. It's like... Uh, you, you do a conference call with uh, yeah. someone that's getting ready to start a new show and they're, you know, they show up and, and they're, <laughs> yeah. a, it's, it's a small yeah. person. When you, when you talk to a company, 30 people are on the call you right. know, to launch a podcast. It's, you know, it's like where I can do it with, you know, get one person up to speed. Then I have to, for a bit company, it's 30 we have to talk to. And uh, yeah, so it's decision by committee. So it's, yeah, and Sam, it's harder. I mean, I mean, you worked at, at Microsoft. I worked at mm-hmm. Microsoft on podcasting for for many years, and these big companies kind of like to own what they what they do, right? They yeah, they don't like to outsource stuff generally if they they can get away with not doing it. So well, I remember I remember the being inside of Microsoft when MSN came out. Okay, and MSN right. wasn't an open platform. That right. was a closed proprietary walled no, garden, right? <laughs> yep, right. And, my wife used to run MSN, so I knew MSN pretty well. And yeah. they only opened and cracked that nut when Netscape came around and said, do you know what? There's this thing called the yeah. internet and the web. And they went, <laughs> right. oh, really? And then they they sort of adopted it begrudgingly because they had yeah. to. Yeah. Well, uh, Bill, MSN Bill Gates didn't really open. get it, right? Bill Gates yeah. didn't even get it back in those days. You know, <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. So. And, 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 you know. They, 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 yeah, they were brought into the 20th century kicking and screaming. That was for certain. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of opportunity and, but I think the main thing that we have to continue to also remember is there's been several tries over the past to kind of like walk away from RSS, but I think RSS is safe. <clears throat> I don't think we have to worry about RSS going away yeah. anytime soon. Yeah, um, it going away. You know, and every time I talk with a company that's coming new into the space, you know, they're all talking about APIs and pushing us new episodes. I'm like, no, you just build a parser, you pull the feed. 
We're not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send you the new episodes via an API. You, you can fall in line and do it just like everybody else and have right. an RSS feed, you know, you do your own scraper, you know, <clears throat> we can, we can let you know there's a new episode, but, uh, right. you know, we're not going to send that episode over there. And it really, they, they kind of don't understand that when you talk to new entrants that you need, we actually build a document now for companies that are getting ready to jump into either an app or, you know, bringing podcasts. In front. We've got a best practice doc now that, you know, we've learned a lot since unfortunately Spotify caused our tech support in early days to, you know, become their tech support with the adoption that they did. So, you know, everything we told Spotify, they end up doing later, um, which was kind of funny. We said, have a portal where people can go to their, your portal and submit their show and you have a relationship with them. <clears throat> oh, no, no, no. You have to submit via API, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we did all that work. And then what did they do? They, they put a portal in finally because they kind of figured it out. All right. They didn't want right. to listen to begin with. So, so one of the um, emails that uh, Dave and I shared over Christmas was in relation to Jack Dorsey's tweet, which I'm sure everyone in the world saw, which was Web3. Uh, Web yeah, you don't own Web3 VCs. And I wrote a post which was, uh, you don't own podcasting, Apple and Spotify, and uh, fundamentally positioned that actually the podcasting industry has adopted nearly everything in advance of so-called Web3's great goals so web three's goal one of them is decentralization okay um we're already decentralized right right we've always we want, been decentralized the, yeah. yeah own your own data is another web three mantra well hang on a minute data portability in rss we own our own data i don't like your host i'm moving my rss feed i own my own data well that's a premise i've been for years i said own your own dot com own your own brand control your rss feed it's yours no one can yeah. take it away so we're right. de already decentralized. Yeah. We're already owned data portability, interoperability, as I talked about briefly, co-commenting across multiple apps that's existing, and monetization, which is another big Web3 mantra. And here comes the monetization with value for value and SAT. We in the podcast industry are, are already where the Web3 industry wants to be, and we should really appreciate that we've done a great job as an industry to get to this point. So to your point, Todd, don't let APIs in. Keep RSS alive and extend it. I agree. Yeah, so, so once you talk to us about what, what SATs are, I don't know if all our people are listening to this show know, know what a SAT is and, and that, sure. that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we hopefully have all heard what a Bitcoin is, this, this right. digital currency by yep. um, a he, she, or they. We don't know. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Right. So, um, right. Right. But a one billionth of a Bitcoin, I think it's a billionth, yeah, is a SAT. So it's a very, very, very small micropayment. And mm -hmm. if you go back to Sir Tim Berners-Lee, one of his wishes was <laughs> that he'd put in a secure HTTPS. He wished he'd put it, made it secure HTTPS at the beginning. Mark Andreessen's wish when he did Netscape Navigator was that he created a micropayment system. And Mark Zuckerberg with Libra nearly tried to create that micropayment system. Well, thankfully he didn't. But what's happened is SATS is that micropayment system of Bitcoin. And the guy who bought his girlfriend a pizza 
with a Bitcoin, which is now worth over $66,000. You did right. that, Todd, as well? I bought stuff with Bitcoin before. I would yeah. be a millionaire or trillionaire or whatever it would be. Yeah, yeah, that was dumb. So now <laughs> you could buy it with a sat right. instead, and you'd feel much happier. So Satoshi's so, a, a, a gone, Rob. Yeah, so Sam, is this part of the, the Bitcoin kind of lightning initiative? Is this part yeah, of it? so let me explain yeah. how that fits into uh, the blockchain is a protocol, a bit like RSS, a bit like right. HTTP. On right. top of the blockchain is an app. That app is Bitcoin. Now, Ethereum is another Bitcoin app. And so if we think of them like we do Facebook or Twitter, they're just apps that sit on top of HTTPS. Well, mm -hmm. blockchain enables Bitcoin. So now what happens is when you want to do a micro, when you want to do a Bitcoin transfer, it's too slow. It can only do about four Bitcoin transfers per second. So companies like Visa, MasterCard, all those credit card companies can't use it. So out of third party came this thing called the Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. and what the Lightning Network allowed in its name as well is for 30 transactions per second or more. And so they created a network on top of Bitcoin that sped up the way that you could do secure Bitcoin transactions. But that enabled micro transactions to come out of it. So suddenly sats were born and sats allow you to then do. So, for example, um, on Podland uh, and you can go make your any podcast can be made value for value enabled to receive sats. So on Podland, we do that. And so you could with apps that support it. So, for example, Fountain, um, you could go into Fountain, listen to Podland. And with your digital wallet, tip us like you would Patreon or PayPal or anywhere else. But now you could tip us with sats. And it's been quite good fun actually seeing them because mm -hmm. what's happened is people have started to create memes around them. So there, there's the duck sat, which is 222, or there's the uh, iron uh, rush sat, which I think is 121112 or something, which references an album of theirs or something like that. I mean, <laughs> And so people are coming up with fun meme names to represent the amount of money in sats. Now, these are all worth, you know, four cents or less in real money. But what it does allow is the, the user to tip the creator with another mechanism, which seems to be a universal mechanism. Um, and this week, literally this week, Dave Jones um, created an app called Helipad. And if you really want to, you can now, as a creator, have a, a real-time view of sats being paid to your podcast. So this podcast you'll do, you do every week, which is live, would be amazing. So you could say, hey, guys, we've enabled our podcast to be sats, uh, value for value, to accept sats. And then both of you guys use a little app called Helipad. And in the show, you would see people tipping you in real time. And you would see that. And that's what Helipad does. So, again, it just makes it all a bit more fun. It makes it more interactive. It gives you that feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sats I, are great. I've got it enabled on my other show. I may have added it for this show. I can't remember if I mm -hmm. added it for this show. But there's something I don't I think it's a Discord app or something I have, some channel. It is a yep. little too geeky yet. It is too geeky. Right yes. Now. I fully <laughs> agree with you, Todd. <laughs> That's when the good uh, stuff is born, though, Todd. You know, so I understand. 
and, and I barely, I understand it and I understand, right. you know, but it's right. like, okay, where do I, how do I do that? <laughs> you know, right. how do I yeah. make that donation? You got to tie it to a wallet and a whole bunch of stuff. So it gets, yeah, it's a little complicated. So yeah. you and we're all the same age, right? And one of the things that I remember is having to get the TCPIP stack to work, <laughs> right? So I'd, I'd boot up my Windows, and then I'd find the TCPI stack, and then I'd find a browser, and then I'd do dial-up, and then I'd do something else, and then I'd do something else. And, you know, before Google was about a billion dollar, a billion other search engines. Do you remember AltaVista, yep. Navio, sure. Turo? Dogpile. Dogpile. Yeah, I mean – you know even yahoo had a good search engine before that ask jeeves exactly (laughs) yeah yeah so look the the complexity of getting onto the web before (laughs) it became built into the stack was was meant that us geeks were the only ones who went and played and that is exactly where we are now the the wallets so for example here's a great example um if I, I haven't got my phone to hand, but if I looked at one of your Twitter accounts because you're in the US, I'm pretty sure you're enabled to receive sats. In the UK, I can't do it, but there's a little dollar icon on yep. your profile. And if you click on it, it brings a pop up which says, How many sats do I want to pay Rob or Todd? Right. And I can do that from my digital wallet and I can give you that payment. Now, most people aren't even aware that that exists. Most people aren't even aware on Twitter how to set that up. Yep. But right. let's fast forward six months. Let's say they get the onboarding correct. That is 300 million people will have a digital wallet that accept Bitcoin and sats. So then actually going to Fountain or going to Pod LP or going to Castapod or any of these other apps and then saying, connect this new podcast app to my digital wallet on Twitter, bingo. Suddenly people, so it's a learning curve. I, I, I just, I do yeah. think six months from now, people are going to be understanding it. And then a year from now, it'll be second nature. So in order to use it, you, you have to actually own fractional Bitcoin. Is that correct? Or can you use yeah. it with uh, owning some Ethereum or other, other? No. So, so th- this is what I, I had to go through this learning curve. So, as I said, the, the easiest way to understand it is blockchain is the HTTP of Web3. Right. Ethereum and Bitcoin are two apps that sit on top of that chain on that right. protocol. Right. Ethereum and the stack of Ethereum is basically they've got ETH as their coin. They do yep. NFTs that we've all heard about, mm-hmm. these tokens. Right. And they do something called uh, a ENS, which is the Ethereum namespace. And they're trying to replace DNS with an ENS namespace and that ENS namespace is supposedly a secure way of registering your domain, both .com and other more modern ones like Mm. .eth onto the Ethereum blockchain. That is totally separate to a Bitcoin and a Satoshi on the Bitcoin blockchain. And the best way of looking at it is if I put a tweet up onto Twitter and I put a post up onto Facebook, they're a different entity. Hmm. It's just two it's two application stacks sat on top of the blockchain. They're very two different digital coins, two different platforms, two different mechanisms. Um, there is a way that they may eventually talk, but let's not get into that because that's really geeky. <laughs> and really what we what 
what we need to do is again adoption 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 you've got outlier apps and i i call them outlier just because most people have not heard of them mm-hmm. that are supporting this so it, it's you know that is again we we got to i guess we got to crawl before we can run but as soon yeah. as overcast or some one of these top you know top percentage apps implements this then I think we're going to have winter, winter, chicken dinner. But in the end, I keep telling folks we need, and I know there's already um, a percentage that can go back to the app developer because there is a portioning, yeah. you know, so there is an incentive for app developers to add this because they can earn some, you know, every time someone sends a tip to me, a little bit of that goes to the app developer too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I agree, guys, that I think we are way too early when we are talking about the bleeding edge of podcasting, right? And maybe beyond that, I don't even know what that would be. But it's a great uh, arrow of direction to look at and understand and get your head around because, you know, in a year's time, you know, we're all going to be sitting here. Because the thing I hate most about podcasting is you're in the middle of a great podcast and suddenly it goes, and now for Casper Mattress. <laughs> and now for what? And it's totally non-aligned to the podcast audience. But it's because they're the only ones advertising. You take the money, right? Right. Yeah. That's true. yeah. I I've wondered for years if there could be a technology that comes along that kind of replaces advertising in podcasting. That we can have more of a audience support mechanism there. Um, but I also think that um, that's that hasn't proven to be a uh, viable model really uh, of donation in the podcasting space up to this point. It's not like it's been difficult for people to donate bases versus uh, via like PayPal or. Yep. Which is how yours is set up. Right. And you know, some people do it. Todd and I have had people donate to us on this show. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's, it's probably not enough to support a podcast though. So is this going to remain kind of like, you know, just like PayPal um, in, in its kind of broad support that that's the biggest question for me as I think about it. I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, you know, we've all had the options of Patreon to buy or Patreon to buy a cup of tea or coffee for somebody, you know, right. and tip them. So what will change is user habits and behavior. I don't know. Um, I, I genuinely don't right. know that part. Yeah, and what's the catalyst that could cause a shift away from advertising in this medium too is another bigger question. Yeah, I I, I think host read advertising is is um, has an element of truth and touch to it. I know there's a big push for we're kind of moving away from that, right? We're kind of moving yeah. away from that, right? So um, that may be the catalyst. <laughs> you know, know. I, I think the programmatic advertising though is going to give an opportunity to those shows that aren't technical. Yes. Smaller shows. They too. just need a little bit of revenue. They're willing to run a pre let a pre-roll run before. Yep. Um, yep. I, I, yep. because we've, we've worked for years to try to get small shows once again, to do host endorse ads and mm-hmm. the media buyers just aren't playing. And we talked yeah. about that on the last show. So I, right. I think it's incremental stuff. If they can do a programmatic, they can do a donation through their show, combine merch, you know, maybe then they're getting to the point where they, they, but again, there's a lot of uh, podcasters today that have small shows and they have these crazy expectations 
that you know they're going to do well financially even though you know there's no way reasonable even if you have six seven eight hundred nine hundred people listening to your show it's not that's not quit your day job money you still have to build an audience you know that you still have to build a significant audience but yet at the I same mean, time, I don't think we want to dissuade people no. from setting a goal and starting no. to, and to go after it. And I, I think a lot of people think, well, I'm going to make as much money as Joe Rogan <laughs> uh, or, or, or something like that. But, you know, I, I mean, Joe started out like that, right? He wasn't making the money he's making when he started. Now, granted, he had some advantage. At the beginning, he was a celebrity. But right. not all celebrities are successful in podcasting. So just the fact that he's a celebrity doesn't guarantee his success. He had to work at it for many years. Um, so yeah, I, I just, you know, I hate to dissuade people around any aspect of podcasting. I mean, I think it, it's up to what you're willing to put into it and the relationships that you build with your audience and, and they will reward you, um, if you give value and that, you know, that's that where that value for value, um, statement comes from. Right. Right. And, right. and that's what Adam was pushing for is, you know, if you bring value, then you'll get value. Mm-hmm. Right. I also think there's a lag in the industry. Uh, we've all been around mm-hmm. enough to know PR right. companies don't look above the parapet. They go to the <laughs> lowest hanging fruit, right? So yeah. I remember being with TechCrunch and we weren't known. And nobody knew who we were. And mm-hmm. PR companies didn't approach us and we didn't get the news breaks, right? And right. slowly and steadily we made the noise and suddenly, I, don't know, I can't remember when, but there was a sudden switchover and suddenly the PR companies were sending us stuff. We weren't hunting them they were hunting us and they wanted us to break the news and they wanted us to tell the story right i believe that they that many pr companies still don't understand the value that podcasting brings they bring a a really intimate audience into someone's ears with a trusted host and a, a very specific niche and if you look for the right niches and so i think whether there's to your point todd or you know there's 900 or 300 people, right? If I always say with my radio uh, head on to my presenters, look, if I put all 1,000 people who you're talking to or 5,000, whatever the number is, 50 people in a podcast in front of you, guess what? That would be That would feel great if they were all physically there in front of you. So now you've just got to imagine those people there, and that's your intimate audience. Kevin Kelly called it, you know, um, the true fans, right? And that's what you really got to aim for. Find your, find your tribe, find your true fans, small or big. I think, you know, my, my experience with PR people is a little different than most podcasters just because I take a show on the road. I go to like CES, go to that event, cover that Mm -hmm. show. We do live and do interviews. And, um, I was just telling Rob a couple of weeks ago that the game has changed again. Mm-hmm. The power's back in the creator's hands because so for, for a long time, the PR people just run us ragged, you know, and in uh, what we're trying to do is change those relationships, not only from a getting them exposure to an audience, but also a, a their sponsorship or monetization or whatever, you know, whatever the, we were, the ploy was we were putting together and the PR people just, you know, ran roadblocks on us, but the PR people now because of COVID, well, you know, everything's been virtual and they don't have as much control as they used mm-hmm. to have. So it's a different ball game now. And even at CES, the whole attitude of PR people were, okay, we understand we're, you're going to get us exposure because everyone's at home. They're not here. 
Right. So it uh, it definitely was a different game this this go around for CES. We'll see how that plays out in some other events that are forthcoming. But right, and Todd, to kind of play off what we were saying, I, I think more broadly there there is a shift away from main major media. Right, um, yeah. people are paying more attention to independent creators now and I- independent networks. I, I think you clearly see it on YouTube. I think that's. That's where the big shift is happening of attention. Um, you, sp- yeah. you speak of, you know, MSNBC, you know, when they were doing their big events for Lake Placid years ago, and we were on the main stage that Brokaw was using to bring the news, and we had right. 50,000 people on a live stream using a single camera setup. There was multi-millions of dollars worth of equipment, and we had a little laptop that barely had enough power to, to get us through. You know, th- that was when I knew that the game had changed. And we right. had a lot of power um, right. in bringing, you know, being an independent content creator. You know, and, and with TechCrunch, TechCrunch would have been at CES heavily. They probably have a mm-hmm. multi-million dollar booth now, but they weren't there this year. None of those folks were. And uh, so who was there? The small independent content creators that were covering the show. So, you know, it says 600 media people. There was 100 and only 25 broadcasts. So it was, it's just, it's a different... It's a whole different game, whole different opportunity. It's like the old days, Todd. Yeah, it is like the old days. We'll see how long it lasts. Right. Well, I don't know. I think this shift, I think, may be a little more permanent than we think. I, it's really about where people pay attention and where they trust the, right. the content. Right? Yeah, I think so, too. You know, it's, it's, well, it's always been that to an extent, you know, and it's, I, I did a consult with a podcaster yesterday, and I said, remember, I said, it's not like YouTube. It's not like television. I said, when you're talking to your audience, you're talking to an audience of one, even though there may be thousands listening. You know, you got to remember it's a, you know, it's you're supposed to remember it's, it's like one additional person sitting at the table here. Right. Yeah, it's like, like meeting somebody at Starbucks is the analogy right. I like to say. Right. That's who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Sam, I know you have some thoughts mm-hmm. too on um, on what the next, you know, s- some of the other big things in 2022 too around discoverability and interactivity. Um, we've talked about monetization, but is there anything else that you're thinking about um, discovery that you're seeing? You know, I think a lot of people have said that discovery is like the big problem in podcasting. And, <laughs> and, and I think Todd and I have kind of dispelled that as really being true, but well, I do think most, most podcasters would like to be found more. I, I, <laughs> I, I have a saying, podcasters don't have a discovery problem. They have a Google problem. Right, and well, well that's it, part of it. That's part of it. But yeah. I think one of the things for discovery is <laughs> Yeah, the tools, as I said, from top down are, are coming. Bottom up need to come more. Look, if I wanted to find this podcast that I'm on, right, I'd need to have been recommended it. I follow people on Twitter, so somebody tells me. Wouldn't it be lovely if I got a little snippet of it and that gave me a flavor, like a trailer, and I, I could hear it and then I could go to it, right? So mm-hmm. I think we need more tools. One of the things I'm working on is, um, and you're going to roll your eyes, so I'm going to say it anyway, um, is gamification, right? And that's, I think, one of the other ways that I think will come back into play. Now, I built a gamification engine for a previous business I uh, sold, 
but the problem we had was there was no reward mechanism at the end of the gamification. Do you remember Foursquare? Yep. Um, yeah. And, course. you know, you could be the mayor of somewhere. But so what? After a while, the game became <laughs> boring because, yeah, I'm the mayor. I, I, I get no value. Now imagine in the same way, Todd, that you said about developers getting a microtransaction of the tip. Well, imagine I'm the mayor of my local Starbucks. And so everybody who checks into that Starbucks, me as the mayor, now get a little tip back. Now there's value, right? Now suddenly there's a reason for me to play a game to become that mayor. Well, let's extend that analogy to podcasting. I discover this podcast before anyone else in the world discovers it, right? And I get some points and I share that with friends. I get more points. I make some comments. I get more points. So now I'm the king of this podcast, whatever that (laughs) title may be, right? You're the P1. Yeah, exactly. Or just, just listening to the podcast gives you points. Exactly. Almost like uh, so, frequent flyer miles, right? Yeah. So if I get to 80% or 90% of this podcast, I get more as opposed right. to 10%. So suddenly that there's, there's value in, in gaming the system and getting those points. So now when someone makes a micropayment Satoshi to you, maybe there's a three-way split, yeah. maybe some to you, some to the developer and some to me, because I've done a job for you. I've helped you discover more friends and, and and in my network to come and be your new listeners. So you're paying me at the same time. Now look, will that will that work at somebody who's earning a hundred thousand dollars a year? No. But in the time rich, cash poor Gen Z market, that's probably going to work really well because it's you can make the game fun, you can make them uh, badge rewarded, leaderboard rewarded, typical gamification. But now they can earn some micro payments, which, okay, converting back to fear won't get him anything. But imagine, so we're we're doing um, uh, with a pretty famous uh, celebrity pop star that you will know, but I can't mention, who is trialing Viral Tribe, the platform I'm building, uh, with the idea that when you become a super fan and you've earned enough rewards they will allow you to have a VIP ticket to their next concert. Mm, so yeah. it's not a monetary, here's 10 pounds for doing this, but here's an unspecified amount that you couldn't even buy anyway, because I'm just giving you this access or, and so there's, there's a whole bunch of other ways to monetize someone's attention, someone's behavior, um, and someone's mm. interaction with your podcast other than, giving them hard cash. And the best part is you give them a uh, ticket. You can write that off for taxes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry. No, it is. I mean, it's, it's basically a rewards program. Yeah. Uh, it's basically what we're building. And, and a lot of crypto um, currencies have been built on that model too. Um, so, and you're, I mean, individuals can start their own rewards crypto too out there you know i'm not exactly sure how to do it but um myself but i i've heard of ones being created out there you know you look at this show um and my other show and i've had paypal on the website for years but they know the show's also sponsored the tech show sponsored mm-hmm. you know right. it's right there's the sponsor you know so they you know they've right. been a sponsor forever so there's a mindset also when you're running advertising the listeners say, Hey, you don't need any more money. You've got a sponsorship. So you don't get as much donations as you would. If you, I felt if, if 
they, that sponsor ever canceled, then I can go to the audience and say, hey, listen, I got to survive. You know, it's uh, now time to really step up. Um, but there's still only a percentage of people that will ever donate. And I, my lowest donation level is $2 a month. So right. what do you see then on Satoshi's? What is a typical tip? Is it a dollar 50 cents? You know, what, what do you normally see is, or is there something that people have seen yet? It's too early is, is the honest answer. The ones on Podland say roughly around a thousand sats, you know, um, which is probably only about 50 cents, maybe less. Right. It's not massive. Um, but that's going to vary based on the price of Bitcoin, right? Over time, that could be worth a lot. It could be, that's the, right. the pizza, right. it could be the pizza analogy, right? <laughs> but, um, but I think also when you look at value for value, you've got to look at it as a two way street. So the listener could tip the creator with sats, but hang on a minute. I can tip the listener, the super follower who's done 10 shares. So they can earn money the other way, right? So it's not always a one-way street. Right, right. And I think that's what we have to start to understand, that user-generated discovery, if that even exists as a term, can involve someone exchanging their time and attention in exchange for sats from the creator. It's kind of the analogy I like to use is I have a, a landing page that I send everyone to for my sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And so for years, I told my audience, hey, you know, if you're not going to do a donation, tweet the link to this page or um, put it in Facebook or share it with a friend. Don't write it on the bathroom wall. And what that really did was build the page rank of that particular page where certain search terms I do very, very well and get a lot of non-podcast traffic that may take advantage of that sponsorship promotions just because of the simple fact that they've linked back. So it's the same analogy. If you got people linking to the show, Mm -hmm. then what are you doing? You're, you essentially building more audience. It may not be a direct support cash wise, but you're adding your, I call it ear balls. You're adding ears to the show, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, I think if, you know, we all have six, seven degrees of separation, but still the more people that are promoting for you and if they right. like your show, yeah, it pays back that way too. So if that yeah. could be rewarded, whoo. Yeah. I mean, if you could get your audience to share others and that share converts that share and that person sharing could, could get a bonus. But rewards, then, then the Indian right? scammers will show up and they'll all be sharing and you'll, you know, you'll have share farms. Right. There's always that. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. And, and that's when, you know, you have to build a better game than they can play. Right. Right. So right. you can't, for example, I thought it was quite cool. Spotify, and I, I don't give them a lot of credence, but they did one thing cool this week, which was, you know, uh, Apple, you don't have to listen to the podcast to rate it, which is silly. Right. But you have to get five ratings before they display it. So you could get five of your mates to give you five out of five, display a five out of five star rating, and no one's heard your podcast yet. Whereas Spotify said, no, 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 no. You've got to hear at least 30 seconds of this podcast before you can rate it. Okay. At least they put a barrier in place. But I think you can go further. I think you can, you know, measure 
the amount of time you listen to. Audible's brilliant at doing this gamification, right? So I listen to a lot of Audible books, and then I get my monthly Audible update saying, hey, you've exceeded from being a novice reader to a, a certain level, whatever they want to call it. doesn't mean much, but it's nice to have it. And then they give me a data stat point, which is the number of hours that I've listened to Audible. Now, that's just a nice thing to have. Um, and again, I think that is gamification. You know, I'm not getting rewarded for it in right. any way from Audible. They're not giving me any more credits, but they could. Yep. They could easily give me a credit mm-hmm. if I hit 50 hours, right? Um, right. So we'll see. I, I, I think gamification will come back in in 2022 as a means, again, to generate user interactor- interactivity um, to help us as podcasters, you know, get people to learn more about my particular podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that that'll, that happens, you know, it gets back to how it's deployed, who supports it, you know, those same issues though. Right. Well, the good thing is it's around an industry standard. So I, I talked about activity pub earlier, mm-hmm. uh, activity pubs really cool in that it has a very simple structure actor verb object so actor is the user verb is like share comment uh discover there's a whole bunch of verbs Mm -hmm. an object can be in this case the podcast right so uh you know todd discovers podcast x right there's the point system that you build around gamification based on an industry standard um it's pretty cool you can do this stuff quite quickly now what was always missing was the micropayment system uh, but so, that's coming. So the question then really is, you know, everyone knows what Cash App is or Vimo or, every, you know, there's all those. There's PayPal. Yeah. Um, it, why? Because crypto is so complicated for some folks. Why didn't we just go with the Cash App or Venmo integration with this model to begin with so that we would start with a base of apps that would be known? Or is it just too hard to do the distro then? There's just no way. If I if I if someone sends me five bucks on Cash App, I can't send 50 cents of that to yeah. the app developer. It's that micropayment part. But the cool thing was Jack this week enabled the Cash App to work on the Lightning Network which gives you another arrow of direction of where this is going. So the fact is now you can use your cash app to buy sats and then that's the way it's going. And then you go back to, hang on a minute, as we said earlier, Jack used to be the CEO of Twitter and he enabled sats as a payment mechanism in Twitter. Well, how do I get my wallet? Ah, it's now my cash app. So I get my cash app, fiat currency, convert to sats, and now I can play on Twitter. It's the pieces are beginning to come. It's just right. that what's the famous William Gibson? You know, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Right. <laughs> and if you think about the yeah. podcast space in the early days, oh, it's hard. You know, some, yeah. a lot of people were handwriting their RSS feeds and just keeping the media online was a challenge. So I think it's just yeah. like anything else. It takes a little while for it to mature and like you said, make it easier so it becomes mainstream. Um, and maybe by then the adoption across the apps will be much higher, just like this yeah. cross commenting stuff. It just takes one or two things to really make the app developers say, Whoa, what are we doing over here? And when the app developers say it over there and the listeners then start 
feeding back to the podcasters. The podcasters then will feed back to us and say, Hey, I want this, yeah. this cross commenting feature. And then if I get 50 of those in a two week span, then guess where that goes on my dev cycle? It goes, <laughs> it goes much higher because now I'm not building for yeah. the 3%. I'm building for maybe the 50% or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and that app developer can point to, well, if I had this feature and my competition doesn't have it, that's right. Then maybe I'll pick up more users. That's you true know, too. It, so it works on both, works on both so, sides. Right. Yeah. So here's a good example for you. Do you guys use Descript? No, I do not use D. I, I'm familiar with the platform, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with it, too. Okay. Yeah. So when I was starting out as a novice podcaster, I didn't know any of this stuff, right? And I didn't know how to use Hindenburg. I certainly didn't want to use Adobe stuff that was too expensive and too complex. And I was using Audible, like a lot of people who, when they first start out, free download, put my MP3 in. Um, and try and work out how to delete an ad and move stuff around, right, you know, right. blind leading the blind often. And then along came Descript about three, four years ago, Jay Rosenberg, who I know there. Uh, and I took my MP3 file, I threw it up into Descript and it did an auto transcribe. And then like a word document, I could simply highlight the words I wanted to destroy or move around or, or just simply hide. And the audio did it automatically. Oh my right. God, it was game changer for me, right? Suddenly I visually could edit my audio and I could export it. And when I first got that, that was that was that moved me along the, the line of making my podcasting editing much easier. And recently, only last week, and I've been saying this to them for day one, you can put in chapter markers into Descript, but they never exported them as ID3 tags. So there was never any way. So you can do a one-click export from Descript straight into something like Buzzsprout or into Captivate. But it wouldn't take the ID3 tags long because they didn't support them. But you could put them visually. So they made them now. So now, if I use, because we, we, we're, we were hosted on Buzzsprout Podland, I can edit the Podland ed podcast, put the markers in, click one button, and suddenly my transcript and my chapter markers are done. To your point, Todd, the, the technology is coming so that it's making this process of podcasting easier. And I think that's what we're going to see. The tools will turn up. Well, for those of us that don't edit, like me, I guess there's <laughs> not a, <laughs> you know, if I, if I had to edit a podcast, uh, I would have quit podcasting 15 years ago. So, uh, but again, personal choice. Yeah. Yeah, and it depends on what kind of show you're producing True. too. I mean, if you're doing a show like this, yeah, it doesn't make sense to do a lot of editing. But if you're doing a, a true crime series, which seems like it's still a popular genre these days, yeah, they typically do a lot of editing in those. Yeah, and you know, it's it's, but I do think at times it's you know that's the chicken and egg thing. You either edit or you don't, and I think it's a personal right. choice. And uh, I know I know where I'm going to continue to stand. I'm I'm going to stand on no editing. Not, not, not you know, still a level, but no editing. You prefer to have so, a life, Todd? Is that what you're really telling us? Yeah, actually, it's true. You know, there's not enough hours in the day. And right. I understand there's companies out there doing that. We, you know, at Blueberry, we got Blueberry Pro. We got a team that does editing for people that want editing. Right. They edit our podcast insider right. show. It does sound better for sure. But I'm just, uh, you know, for my personal side, I don't have time. In other words, some of my content is expiring the moment I talk about it, see, it's got a, you know, I do a new show. So it's like, 
Yeah. It's got a shelf life. So I can't edit for three hours. I can, you know, it needs to be out there and, and uh, go through its 96 hours of burn before, you know, no more downloads are going to happen on it or plays. So one of the uh, new tags that came out last week was the live item tag. Now for this show that you do, that could be a really interesting tag to support because what it would allow me to do is subscribe to this podcast but then at the point that you guys say the show is live, I would get a notification. And again, just something, again, these are these tools that are appearing, how they're going to be properly used and people are going to take advantage of them. We don't know yet. But again, I think this is an interesting area, again, showing that the tools are appearing. So for somebody like you guys who do a live podcast, again, just being able to notify your subscribers who listen to this maybe through their app they now also get a, a secondary notification that this is live as well yeah that'd be a cool cool feature they could just go in and uh, this week i want to watch it live and it pops up a little not- notification and if i don't then it's going to be on demand so yeah right hmm. so when you started <laughs> doing the show with uh with james I'm just yeah. kind of curious. I haven't listened to one of your episodes yet. So I know James oh, okay. listened to this show, so I should listen over there. <laughs> what are you, you know, you guys just dissecting what's in pod news? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think, you know, Going James deeper. does a great, yeah, I think James does a great job in, in getting a daily newsletter out about our industry. And I think his podcast mirrors that. Um, but it doesn't give him any time to really, give commentary on it so um you know yeah one of the things that you you want to hear is what james's thoughts are further than just two minutes really uh, he's got a great depth of knowledge and i think you know it's unfair that he he didn't have a platform so that's what podland gives him is that platform i'm i'm the dumb co-host i'm i'm the robin to batman okay i'm quite happy to ask the silly questions to let James answer the expert answers with. And that's pretty much my role. Ah. Hey Todd, before we jump in, uh, speaking of James uh, and the pod news newsletter, there was an article that was linked to, and I don't know if you saw this Todd. Um, It was a press release that came out of a company out of um, Munich, Germany, um, talking about, how that company, that, mar- that podcast marketing company is looking, l- looking at advertising and podcasting and they've coined a new term Thought I want, I, want, I just want to throw you by those th- by you and all the listeners here. Um, dynamic baked in advertising. Ah, yes. Dynamic baked in advertising. Advertising. Yeah. Well, is it- so German. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing. Di- okay. He's speechless. I can't believe it. He's speechless. I, I'm just trying to digest it because right. is this what they're referring to? They're calling a dynamic baked in ad as something as a host endorsed ad. That's dynamic. Yeah. And it's dynamically inserted, right? Just like a dynamic inserted um, ad, well, right? M- most are these days. Most yeah. host endorsed ads are d- dynamically inserted. So the, the model that they're describing here is, okay, so it's just like what you would imagine. It's a pre-recorded host read that's sure. dynamically inserted, yep. right? What's the difference between that and a regular dynamically inserted host read? Nothing. It's baked in, right? Which means that it stays. Right. Baked in is, that's different. 
But guess what? But it's how the ad gets in there, right? Is what they're describing. Okay, so anyone, anyone that is doing <laughs> advertising, most people are doing advertising today, are not right. leaving their ads baked in. The majority of folks are pre-recording their ads. They're being inserted, and when they build the file through their through their hosting provider or whoever right. they're using, right. What the model that they're describing to me is, is that you can build a sales model around how long that ad is baked in. <laughs> we already been doing that. No, but is the ad baked in for a month? Is it baked in for three months? Well, uh, it, and, it, and when does that expire and you can replace it? On all my deals that I do, there are terms how long that ad has to stay in the episode. But it's not based on impressions. No, it's based or, on time. Or insertions. It's right? based on time because, okay, for example, if I know your show is going to deliver 10,000 10, downloads per episode, when I sell that deal and you're doing four months, I'm going to sell 120, or let's say I'm going to sell it for three months, I'm going to sell 120,000 downloads, yeah. right? So I sell that, that ad's got to stay in there for three months. Right, <laughs> right. We've been doing this since the beginning of time. <laughs> I know. But so I'd like to ask ask you both a question. But that maybe. term is is contradictory to itself, right? And yeah, that's what makes it makes it it's kind of funny. funny. Right? Yeah, yeah. But I can see so what they're trying to do, though. Anyway, I'd like ahead. to ask you both a question. So, with the update to the Apple Podcast platform about six months ago, they they had a bug in it, and that bug meant that they they didn't have all the downloads coming. Um, so what it was, was it was only those people who listened, not everyone who automatically downloaded. And that was actually probably a truer figure for the industry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I called it a feature at the time. And obviously it wasn't a feature. It was a bug, but I thought it should have stayed as a feature. Now, <laughs> Spotify have taken the alternative model, uh, which is to do streaming. Okay. Is uh, streaming the future? And not downloads. Yeah, Todd's like we've always said, be careful what you wish for. That's right. right. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> you know, so oh, I looked at that data considerably, you know, right. and, and we and I looked at it, and here's the funny thing. We kind of already knew. Right. Right. You know, we kind of already because you know, it's not difficult to figure this out. It's not to, just because they had a feature for a little while. An average podcaster can figure this out, even with the current system that's in place now. What you have to do is you have to do a running three-month total. You got to take the average of all your downloads for three months, divide it by the number of episodes, and that's probably pretty close to about how many people are actually listening. Because mm -hmm. what happens? People right. get past two, three. Apple uh, released the number on the rules on when it stops automatically downloading. I've even had this happen to a couple of shows I haven't listened to in a month. And all of a sudden say, Hey, you want to redownload those now? Cause you're going to listen. And I say, eh, mm -hmm. no, or, yeah. or yes. So I, I you know, I, I've been using, I've never, ever, ever, ever when I've done ad planning, I've went on a 90 day, I, I look back 90 days. How's that show done for 90 days? And I say, okay, that show on average is delivering 7,000 downloads an episode. Some might be 10, some might be four, 
but I say mm-hmm. seven. And guess what happens at the end of that three months if we do a campaign that's long enough? Is I'm usually within two or three percent of actuals right. for that for that show. Um, and performance is good, and the, the advertiser renews. So, yeah, be careful what you wish for because you know then you're going to only get to bill what really happened. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the dirty little secret of podcasting, I think. Well, which... that's the thing that media buyers have complained about since the beginning of the time. How do we know if someone who's yeah. downloaded an episode listen? I've heard that literally a bajillion times. Yeah, and why? I mean, that's exactly the the reason why many want to kill the the metric of download, right? right? Yeah, is is well, that they want to get data from the player where I live. Right. Mm-hmm. Where are my houses, where I'm staying, where I sleep, I have no bars for my cell phone. None, zero. And I have to turn on Wi-Fi and I'm lucky. I've got a whopping 12 megs down and I've got three, three megs up. That's my speed until Elon Musk sends me a Starlink antenna at my house. So I'm, I'm in internet hell. So for me, what I do is I make sure that all the episodes that I want to listen to are downloaded right. and they're available when I go home. Now, I'm an outlier. Most people have good internet connectivity, but rural America, it's absolutely crap. Well, come on, Elon, let's get let's get some more satellites delivered. So for me, it's about the ability. I had people listen to my show in Antarctica. They don't have a cell signal down there. Connect via Wi-Fi, download it, listen to it on the ice. So how many of those people still exist? I think the number's getting much smaller. I think that the number of people that are, I call it, active listening in other words they've hit play mm-hmm. on the device and they are not subscribed i think that number is growing dramatically i think we're on the flip side now i think there's more people listening by clicking play than mm-hmm. are actually downloading and listening offline so and what's that percentage well i got it in my head i know what i think the number is so guess what it comes mute point because everyone that whatever that remaining percentage is that's subscribed and downloading. Now it's on the opposite side where it used to be 80% downloaded and listened. It's probably now 80% that are actively playing and only 20% that are downloading. So yeah, I mean, da- download is a legacy of our industry because of the lack of broadband and right, Wi-Fi. Right. You just described yep. it. Yep. And so I think it's something as we move on, we're, in, we're supposed to be going into the 5G era, right? We're, I know maybe in rural worlds and they're not even in the 4G era, right? But yeah. let's assume that they are moving that way. Then I actually prefer the Spotify model, which is a streaming model, because then you've got a company like One Million Ads, for example, who can do dynamic live injection into the streaming ad. And so to answer your point, uh, Todd, sorry, Rob, the ad agency, even if you then bake in, like they said, the ad into the downloaded podcast, there is no guarantee that I actually heard the third ad in that one hour show. But I'm going right. to be as an advertiser paying for that third ad because you've told me it was in the podcast and it was downloaded. Well, and so I think that's a bad model. Well, well for, it's well, for one thing, Spotify is not streaming anything. So that's right. I mean, that's the real truth. That's so they're, they're on pass through. Yeah. They're they are they're downloading. No, not streaming anything. Yeah. But, so if you talk to one million ads, they're telling you or they're telling the industry that they can dynamically insert that into the stream when you're listening. Uh, if they are, they're not well, doing it from not with 
No, no, they're not. Okay. Not with podcasts. Well, they can. Not. There's on the fly insertion. Right. Into they a delay. Network. Right. Yeah. It's basically a, it, it in some ways we're kind of, from a technology perspective, we're kind of splitting hairs on this to some degree, quite literally. Um, right. Because the experience of the listener is the same, right? It, you click play, it mm-hmm. comes down just like a stream, right? Um, what the difference is, is that some of the platforms and Todd, you can talk about this too, but some platforms will pre build episodes, um, and then host them. So they'll create different versions that are, that have the audio files inserted in them that are like stored on the server to be delivered per individual request. And then there's other platforms that will dynamically insert the ad on the fly as the requests come in for the download. So it just depends on how the platform was built. Right. And it's in both models work, but Spotify is not caching any podcast. mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're used to, yeah, they used to, to, but they hit my CDN and, and, and play via progressive download stream, same thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if they put the tech in the app where the app does the interaction and drops the ad, which I think they're doing. Um, but here's the, here's the deal. Um, we've all wanted, uh, client side data for years. That's the Holy grail. We want that client side data. And Mm -hmm. there's been several initiatives to try to get client side data. Apple's never going to give us client side data. Spotify's yeah, they give us a little bit. And then Google's never going to give us client side data. All these other groups, they're not going to give us that data. Mm-hmm. And that's why I tell these platforms, if you want to work with podcasters and make them excited, give them the client side data in your relationship to them. Yep. But, um, cause it tells a better story. It allows you to build a better media deck and say, okay, now my company developed something that no one else has done still to this date. We're able to tell you how far someone progressively listened and what percentage of that file was delivered. And then that equates into a time hack. But, um, I it's think a rough, it's, kind it's of a rough, rough estimate. Oh, though. it's a rough, right. mm-hmm. it's a rough, but it's, it's better than nothing. It is better than nothing. Right. Yeah. Which it's is a rough. Typically what, what we have, right. Because we know people, here's the funny thing. We, we you just see it in the, in the stat system is as soon as a podcast is published, I mean, within seconds that, 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 that media file starts getting hammered by all the apps. They start sucking it down. And within two or three hours, the majority of the apps that are subscribed right, have pulled it. Have pulled yeah. it. And so that right. first spike, right. I can I can go show by show by show and say, okay, you've got 8,000 people that are subscribed. And this rest of this line, those are active listeners. Those are people that hit play. Or there's a few stragglers in there. Someone didn't have internet or didn't have Wi-Fi turned on or whatever. But the that's that's your number that's subscribed. And then the rest of this line, it's a like a hockey stick. It, you know, it it's very, very obvious that that wasn't a subscriber. That was someone that played. Because downloaded files always make it to completion. I mean, and literally within you know, minutes of the episode being published. So what's the speed of your connection? That's true too. Yeah. Not, right. How fast that episode comes down. But, uh, so, so it's, right. you know, we have some of that data now and it's, right. it's just got to be creative in telling it, but still the media buyer is going to say, well, did they really listen? And so and let, let me, 
because uh, you're a uh, podcasting host um you, we were talking about downloads and and, and hitting the app um have you heard and are you supporting Podping? We do we a uh, web sub pub. We've done that for a long time and we haven't added Podping at this point yet. Because do you have it's, plans? It potentially, but web sub pub is just as good um from updating the apps. It maybe not update podcast index, but it updates almost everyone else immediately hits that and grabs the latest episode. So Podping probably has an advantage in some of the apps that pull from the index, potentially. But I still think that's a minority of, of the big apps. And most of the majority of the big apps are still pulling from, from Apple, which is crazy. So, and and yeah, they, don't I mean, assor- they don't support any type of ping. No, they don't. They and used to. <laughs> so James has got a, a really great stat this week, uh, is that um, if you look at all of the... Uh, requests that apple make they make about 18 million requests through uh standard rss have you got a podcast update sure 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 and if you change that to podping uh something like 85 percent of those requests would disappear and it'd be it would be down to about 18,000 oh, requests we fully understand it and you know it's, it's probably a lot a lot more efficient it would be, yeah. and, and we've asked Apple for them to, it's in the early days. That's what we did. We pinged Apple. Here's there's a new episode and they had, and then they got rid of it for some crazy reason. Mm. And for whatever reason, we don't know why. And for what's been more than 10 years, they haven't had it. So, oh, I, I, you know, they, they know we've talked about this on this show multiple times. So yeah, they, they know we want that back. Well, um, I think there's also a factor here that Apple is so big and they, they have so much infrastructure that it's probably trivial, but it's, but it's not just Apple, it's Spotify, it's Apple, yeah, it's, everybody. it's, everybody. it's, it's Amazon. It's, you know, everyone's right. pulling those feeds and we could become right. much more efficient. I agree. If everyone well, would just the hosts, it's much more efficient for the hosts. Well, well, I don't know that it's that much more efficient for Apple or Google, but you, you that's the difference between us and you, Rob, you guys host all the RSS feeds. 80% of my RSS feeds are on peoples.coms, which right. are still getting right. a significant amount of traffic that's coming in right. and hitting those feeds. But luckily, right. the only thing that's good is they just take a taste. They used to, in the old days, take the whole feed every time. Now they just do a little taste to see if there's anything there and they read the header and a little bit of more information and then they stop. Um, yeah, so it's not a full, it's it's not not a full, full request. A full requ- but still, it's keeping a session open yeah. and multiple sessions are hitting those servers every, you know, every, every minute. So and it's, and it's transferring some data, not, sure. not that much, sure. but, yeah. but less than it used to be, it used to be pretty bad because yeah. they pull the yeah. whole feed every time. But, uh, yeah, I, I would wish that they would, they would support it. You know, Google, that's why we put in web sub pub hub whatever you call it, web sub, hub, hub. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, 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 you know, Google updates within seconds. So when there's a new episode. Yeah. Right. But they're the only ones now really supporting it. So. Oh, there's some apps out there that support it too. Yeah. Okay. So what are your thoughts, gentlemen, on, on uh, Clubhouse and Twitter spaces and, and, and because you're doing this live, obviously. Um, I, I have another podcast I produce for somebody else where we use a product called StreamYard, which was bought by Hopin, uh, mm-hmm. and we broadcast live onto Twitter, which is great. 
it at the same time as YouTube, at the same time as Facebook. Yeah, we're um, we yeah, use, we're doing that here. Yeah, yeah, we do that with Wowza. We use their oh, their okay. product. Um, yep. But uh, you know, here's the thing. I talk about Streamyard. Um, Streamyard allowed us to do something at CES that we never thought we'd be able to do before. Um, have remotes and basically come into a StreamYard session. The person that was at the master control in Florida brought that person in from a remote, switches back out. We still had a primary studio at CES where we were doing the primary mm -hmm. stuff. So StreamYard is a pretty cool package. Um, but again, even when I use StreamYard, I do out to Wowza, then I use, the, it's a restreaming service. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, okay. But I do, feed, I do feed YouTube separately. Because Wowza hasn't had great integration with YouTube, so I feed YouTube and I feed Wowza. Then Wowza feeds seven different other locations. So oh, don't come across Wowza. Okay, yeah. I have to look that one yeah. Up. Cloud Cloud Wowza. See, let me actually look because it's running right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cloud Wowza .com. Okay, so Todd, that's a new one on me. What are all of the 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 listening pl or viewing platforms that are that have this show right now? It's Twitter, YouTube. We're on Facebook. two Twitter channels, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook. Where else? And actually, shh, we're not supposed to restream Twitch. Um, <laughs> and actually, two Facebook pages. So two Facebook pages, Twitch, and two Twitter accounts. Yeah, I wonder YouTube. if we're ever gonna 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 be able to get live on um, on LinkedIn. Well, I've tried, and I'm haven't been accepted yet. They're pretty picky on who they let have a live account mm, i guess we're we're on the edge too much todd i guess we gotta tone it down a little bit well why don't you apply rob for a linkedin streaming it just takes one of us to get in in there so oh, it does? yeah okay. but so would would you ever want to do this uh equally onto twitter spaces because i don't know of an app personally that allows you I've, I've got my road podcaster set up with this mic into a Twitter space and it yeah. works. We I've used to do that on, on um, clubhouse. We used to do show. Yeah, yeah. We used to do live. I would do the live part. Rob would do the clubhouse part. Right. I would mute clubhouse on this side, but clubhouse just is too much chaos. Yeah. It, yeah it, it just didn't work well for our format. No. If, you know, if we were just talking and then having a guest come up, like clubhouse would be great, but we were, it, it just, yeah, it, it was just K and lots of noise and people that, you know, so just the quality was, if you had a, a set number of guests that you were going to bring on, that would be fine with clubhouse and it's perfect for it. But Rob was uh, hanging out on club. He was a clubhouse fan for a long time. When, when's the last time you're on clubhouse, Rob? Mm, it's it's been a few months uh-huh see so yeah. <laughs> and twitter spaces you know again you have to have a following so i think you know i've got a good mm. twitter following eight thousand or something like that twitter followers but you know then you have to plan you have to make sure you're promoting it and people know you're going to be right. going live and this right. is it kind takes... of a catch as you can we just announce it yeah. and go yeah right right well i mean we've been doing the show so long that yeah we've got an established kind of, you know, expectation that we're going to be out there. <laughs> and, you know, and we are doing live, I was doing live before people even, you know, I started when she's more than 10 years ago. Well, you stream That's how old and, this show. Is yeah. Too. Yeah. It was more, I, I did geek new central first and I started doing that at episode six seventy. So that was more than like 11 years ago. So, 
Um, but, and I think live is what, what here's the primary, and I've talked about this on the show before and we're all, we're actually over on time, but yeah. the reason I did live was because I was doing the show in Honolulu and everyone in America was asleep and I would get Australians that would come in and watch the show and interact with me or New Zealanders. Cause they were, you know, it's midday for them. And, uh, for me, I did it because I was lonely doing the show as a solo podcaster. And then when, right. I, then when Rob and I started doing this show and I spent a lot of money on studio gear today, look at StreamYard. I could replace the TriCaster down there with uh, a StreamYard implementation. You know, it's, it's insane right. where, where the hardware's went and software. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the, the odd thing, and I know we are over time, so I'll just end up. So I have my own radio station and we call it a podcast first radio station. And the reason we call it that is because I, I reprogrammed every program to only be one hour long podcast length. And so we used Wooshka, who Spotify recently bought, but I was doing this a year or so ago. So I have a live Icecast feed, mm. which is broadcast over DAB mm -hmm. sure. in the UK with an Ofcom license. So traditional radio. Sure. So my, my presenters, like we are here, would just be broadcasting over radio to cars and DAB receivers and smart speakers but we then use the a wooshka service which is called broadcast to podcast to then convert that straight into a podcast straight after and now it's automated i don't touch it so it just does every show and then those shows go straight out um so we get uh, hopefully we get we get the live audience we get the listen again audience on our website but we also get the podcast audience That's, i think it's yeah. a the challenge most radio stations have had doing that is much radio content does not make for good podcasts unless you're programming it to be a good podcast is there radio first podcast second. So if you, if yeah. your content is, is planned as a podcast and done live, I think it's, you can do it very, very well, but no one wants to hear the drive report uh, from three days ago. You know, they want it. They want to hear the the interview or, you know, they want to hear yeah. those special, those special segments that make radio special. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. That's a different way of doing it's it. It's cool how we can mix and match stuff. The synergies are there. Radios, yeah. you know, we could spend an hour talking about radio, figuring it out, you know, <laughs> It's it's the days of them going to get a drink when there was a podcast session is over. The rooms stay full now. Yeah. So it's it's a different time for sure. Well, well we yeah. are long. So give us uh, where can people find you besides Podland and any contact info you want to share? Sure. Thank you. Uh, uh, first of all, thanks for letting me come on your show. Yeah. It's been a great fun. Um, uh, simply on most platforms, social media wise, it's at Sam Sethi. Um, my radio station is river dot radio. So it's a dot radio domain, uh, obviously at podland news on Twitter or podland if you want to find us. And, uh, my new company is called viral tribe. So, uh, if you're interested in what we're doing regarding gamification and monetization and user generated discovery, come and have a nose. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Awesome. So, I'm Todd at Blueberry.com, Blueberry without the E's because we couldn't afford the E's. I'm at Geek News on Twitter. Rob? Well, those, those E's are expensive. Yes, they were. Um, uh -uh. I can be found on, on Twitter as well, um, at Rob Greenlee. And uh, you can send me an email. We'd love to hear from you. 
give us some feedback on the topics or on the show and any ideas that you guys might have uh, about things we can talk about on the show or guests. Uh, we plan on doing a lot of live on stage in person uh, episodes over the next three to four months. So, uh, you know, look for that from us. It, it looks like Todd, we might have an opportunity to do the show live at the NAB. Oh, so, that'd be awesome yep, to do that. So, yeah. So, so and I great. hope to meet you both at podcast movement. Yeah. We'll be at evolutions and, Evolution. uh, whatever the summer one's called. So both, but, right. uh, it's Todd, you didn't, you didn't mm. answer James's question. Are you coming to London? Are you boys coming to London? Oh, for the, the podcast show. If the, yeah. or, if the organizers will answer my questions that I've asked <laughs> twice, they have uh, refused to answer any of those oh. questions. One, I don't know the organizers, so I can't one, help you. One problem with the podcast show that has come up um, is if you look at the calendar, um, there, there's an overlap between PodFest in Orlando and the podcast show. They they happen oh. on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Because okay. if I'm going to send a team and be exhibiting at that event, which I would like to, then mm-hmm. tell me what your ticket sales are. Tell me... You know, or do you have 3,000 people that have committed? It's probably too early to know, Todd. Well, that's, that's a reality. problem. So right, I'm right. not I'm not spending $20,000 to go across the pond if 300 people show up. And I'm sure there's going to be more. But, right. you know, there's this cost ratio of, you know, I have to justify, you know, how many potential new clients we can get. And if there's only 500 there, well... Yeah, and, and and the attractant of a warm beer in London with me doesn't doesn't persuade you. <laughs> well, uh, fish and chips in uh, London is definitely would be on the list, and uh, some pub right. grub uh, for sure, some pot pie and stuff, which I've, they're fa- famous for. I've never well, been to London, so I would love to go. Oh, I so. have. It's in you know it, at least it'll be almost out of the cold and dreary part of the year, and at least it'll yeah, be I, a little bit warm. Right, hopefully. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so James and I are hosting a dinner. We, if you do come oh, over, you are. we would okay. love to host you. We'd All love right. to host you both. Right. Well, we'll, yep. we'll see. And uh, if these countries quit being so crazy and COVID, it looks like we're going to get a relief. Things are going to start ramping off. But, you know, when they change the rules every 15 minutes, too, that makes it challenging to plan anything on any foreign event. So we'll see. Yeah. They announced today all mask removal in the UK. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's good news. But I bet you events will still have masks. Nope. Oh, really? Wow. No masks at all. Nope. Wow. Well, good for them. Only, only if you cheering. want to, but it's not mandatory anymore. Right. I bet you there's some cheering going on about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, all right, every, thanks. everyone, show.com. Follow or subscribe to the show. Thanks for being here. We'll be back next week at 3 p.m. Eastern. For another edition of the show, we'll be on 484. I think we're 43 this week, 484. And uh, yeah, 10 years or so we've been running with this, Rob. So, yep. Okay, everyone, thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Okay.